All right, good to be here this morning. Take your Bible, please. Go to Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter 9, as your pastor mentioned. I'm in uh, Linwood, Washington, which is about 20 minutes uh, north of Seattle, kind of the Bible Belt area there in a bastion of conservatism, morals, ethics, values, standards. Truthfully, our, our governor has been probably the greatest real estate agent for Idaho and Montana and Texas, really Washington, Oregon, and California. Uh, I'm sure you've probably seen a little bit more traffic in your area. Yeah, that's, uh, and it's not stopped. I think it's still coming. So anyway, uh, it's good to be saved. It's good to be in church. I love the music this morning. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And the longer you live in this world, the more you long for heaven. It's just that simple. And I'm glad I'm saved and I'm looking forward to the Lord's soon return. But until then, he said, occupy until I come. And Jesus said, work for the night is coming when man works no more. And that's what I want to uh, really give you this morning is a thought out of this passage that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 9. And I want to take a little bit of a different approach to it today and, and parallel it or tie it in, if you will, with kind of a current events that we see taking place in the United States of America. So I've titled this message, uh, A Real Labor Shortage a real labor shortage. Matthew chapter 9, and look, if you would, at verse number 35. Uh, and The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted. And were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Verse 37. Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. But say the last part of verse 37 with me if you would. But the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers, into his harvest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to assemble together, to open the Word of God, to hear from heaven. And I do pray in the next few minutes that the Spirit of God would speak to hearts. Our people, I pray that people that, that are serving would be encouraged and be reminded of the joy and the privilege it is to serve God. And maybe there's some folks in here that they aren't using their gifts for you. You've gifted them, but they've taken their talents and they've buried them. I pray that you would speak to their hearts, uh, rebuke them if needed, stir them up, encourage them to yield their members as instruments of righteousness for your glory. And I also pray, dear God, for folks here today or maybe those watching online, uh, that if they're not saved, 
They don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Uh, When they put their head on their pillow tonight, they don't know for sure heaven is their home. I pray today would be the day they put their faith not in religion, not in the Baptist church, not in their baptism, not in their good works, but in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as their only hope for heaven. And we'll thank you for it, and we'll give you the glory, for it's in Christ's name we pray, and amen. A labor shortage. More than 9.5 million Americans were unemployed in June, according to the latest Bureau of Labor Statistics and Data. I'm going to read you a few stats here just to kind of lay the foundation or put into perspective some of the things you already know. And, and actually, this is, this is a few weeks outdated. It's even worse than that now, but you'll kind of get the picture. At the same time, with 9.5 million Americans unemployed, at the same time, job openings in this country just hit a record high of 9.2 million. Statistically, there is an open job for every person looking for one. But even as employers signal that they're ready and, and, and willing to hire, they're having trouble finding workers ready and willing to fill the jobs. Listen to this. The Federal Reserve said labor demand was broad-based, but nine out of 12 districts reported only slight or modest job gains over the past six weeks. Labor shortages were often cited as a reason that firms and businesses could not staff at their desired levels. According to the report, which is kind of an anecdotal survey of businesses around the country, some employers suggested that job seekers don't want to work because they're making too much money on extended unemployment benefits, many of which are expiring or already have expired. So what was expected to happen really over the next 10 or 20 years when it came to a labor shortage or inflation or what have you has happened, believe it or not, in just a few months. I don't know about you and I don't know this area as well as I do our area, but I've seen firsthand a huge sign of a labor shortage in this country. How many of you have observed that a little in here say amen? It's all over. I mean, it's, it's legit. We're seeing it. Business is understaffed, and the service isn't the same as it used to be. I spoke with a lady at a, a local restaurant in our area. Her name was Jill, just recently, and she was the general manager of the store. Matter of fact, she had done a, a few of the stores in the area, and she was the manager there. She was busting tables. She was taking orders, and, and, she, and I said, hey, are, are you the manager? She said, yeah, I am. She said, uh, you know, it's just been really tough. We can't get people to come work. I was at the other store the other day. We had four people uh, call in in one day. We couldn't get them in. Everybody, these guys, I've got literally, she said, general managers that I'm over that are, that are take, getting more on unemployment than they are working their jobs. And she said, so people are just staying home and we can't seem to staff. The police department uh, in our area, and then if you just go 20 minutes south of us, uh, I mean, Seattle Police Department is reeling from people leaving the department, and they can't hire enough. You know, they're talking about defunding the police. They're, they're, they're leaving on their own. 
And part of that is due to the, just the morale there uh, in, in our leadership in the area. Businesses in, in, in our area, and I've even seen them a little bit over here, but they're, they're offering hiring bonuses, you know, $3,000 if you would just, you know, work and you finish the six months and you'll get the 3000 bucks so they can get workers. And, 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 you know, in our area, even Microsoft or Boeing or Amazon, they, you know, they're hiring big time because they can't seem to get workers. I say that to say this, this is not a new problem when it comes to a labor shortage. Jesus was the first one to kind of shed light, if you will, on the issue. Look at verse 37. Again, in your text, the Bible says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So I want to take a few minutes and consider this thought this morning, a real labor shortage. Three simple points. First of all, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, I want to share with you the importance of seeing the need. Seeing the need. Look at verse 36 again. But when he saw the multitudes, he saw, he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now to make a, get a difference in any given situation. It doesn't really matter what it is. It starts with you and with me seeing the need. Jesus saw the multitudes. Have you ever heard the saying, out of sight, out of mind? You ever heard that before? Out of sight, out of mind. Uh, many, many times we won't even look at a situation out of fear of obligation. You've heard people say, uh, you know, even walking, or it might be somebody who, you know, or don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. And we just, you know, I think we have to be careful with it if there's a genuine need. Even if there's somebody you know that's hurting, even somebody you know that's genuinely hurting, or even the poor. And I know in America we talk about the poor, it's different than it is worldwide. That doesn't mean there's still people that don't have needs. Remember, it was, it was God that said, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor shall cry himself and shall not be heard. So seeing the need and actually doing something about it. Uh, it was God that did say, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given he will repay him again. Sometimes it's justified when you're just, you know, you don't have to jump at any situation, but don't ever resist an impulse from the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God. What did Jesus see when he looked at the multitudes? What was it he saw? Well, look at our text again. First of all, he, he saw the weary. They, they fainted. It says that they fainted. There's two components of this. Now, they're, they're weary and they're just beat up. And they're, they're weary because, first of all, because of the religious rituals and burden that were put upon them if you really want to look at what's going on there. Because of the Pharisees laying heavy burdens on them, they were just wore out. And you know, can I just say this as a little parenthetical here? That's what religion will do. It will wear you out. It's a system of do's and don'ts. Salvation has already been done, praise God. But they were weary because of the demands of the law and the religious activity. Instead of peace, they were forced to carry a burden. And that's what religion does. And then also, no doubt, just like in our day, they were struggling 
under the weight of sin. You know, you know sin carries with it a heavy weight. A heavy weight. You could see it in people's faces. You know, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Sin takes a toll on anybody. Sometimes you can see it in their faces. And we're surrounded by multitudes that are, that are burdened and that are carrying a heavy weight. When you really see the need, you will point them to the one that can help with the need. And that's Jesus. Notice, if you would, in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, if you want to just glance there real quick, you can hold your place in, in Matthew 9. Just turn over a couple pages. So it starts with seeing the need. You, you, you see the, you know, the way of the transgressor is hard. You see the religious weight that they're carrying, and, and it, it begins to affect you. And you want to point them to the one that we see in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Uh, look at what it says. He said, come unto me, all ye that, what, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There is no sinner too great that God will turn away. Now, Pharisees and religious, pious people will say, well, I'm not sure he can get saved because they don't understand how wicked their heart is. Anybody can get saved. He also saw people scattered. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. Scattered abroad is what he says in verse 36. They were scattered. They literally had been cast to the winds and are blown about without hope and without help. Let me just ask you a question, and maybe this will just give you a little challenge. And that is, what do you see when you see people? Do you look at them as souls? I, I was just observing yesterday, you know, you got thousands of people here at the, the ball game over here. And I know I, I talked to a few folks that are going there handing out tracts. Praise God. But when you see the masses, is it a nuisance because they're there? Or do you look at people that need to be saved? The eye should affect the heart. And if we don't see the need and we allow ourselves to become calloused and we don't respond uh, the world just goes to hell, and we and, and listen. By the way, God will not force Himself on you; He won't do it. So, look at people as souls. Look at people without hope and without God in the world. Jesus, after all, did come to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you see the need? And then, lastly, in that first point, we notice this: sheep without a shepherd. Without a shepherd, they can't be sheared. Their wool becomes wasted. Their lives will amount to nothing. They have no one to feed them, no safe supply of water, no one to defend them from their enemies. Left to themselves, they eventually die and no more. But such is the end of all those that are outside of Christ. So it starts with this. Jesus saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. Treasure Valley Baptist Church, it starts with you and me literally, very simply, to see the need. Second of all, notice, if you would, in Matthew 9, 37, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, if you will. It's, it's taking the lead. It's doing something about the need that you actually see. Look at Matthew chapter 9 and look at verse 
37, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Notice the problem. The harvest is ready. <laughs> Listen, the businesses are open, right? But the laborers are few. Sounds familiar. May I say his field is the most important one? Yes, they need people to fill spots all over the place. There is no greater field to labor in than the field of our Lord. No greater field. In life, we often find those who make a difference are the ones that actually don't just see the need and kind of make an intellectual assent to it, but they actually take the lead and they do something about it. Too often we're guilty of just talking about the lost and how much they need or this ministry or this over here, and we talk about it, but we kind of lack when it comes to action. If we really love people, then we will do something about it. First John 3, 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I preached a message at our church recently. Uh, I titled it, Talk is Very Inexpensive. In essence, talk is what? It's cheap. We can talk about it forever. But don't notice what he said. I'll read it again. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but actually indeed, so it's seeing the, but it's taking the lead. Love without action is hypocrisy. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to show you just kind of my favorite picture. If I were to, if I were to share with you my, the best analogy I have found of somebody seeing the need outside of our Lord in this passage and doing something about it. It's just the first part of Nehemiah. I'll, I'll show you this just briefly. But to me, it really, really stands out to a perfect example. And I, I want this to resonate. I, my prayer is this thought will resonate in a way where substantive action is taken by somebody because they actually don't just see the need. They look internally and they ask themselves the question, am I doing something with the gifts that God has given me? Nehemiah chapter 1, look at verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Haniah, one of my brethren, came, and he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which leapt of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. You know what? Think about this just for a minute. Here's Nehemiah. He's in Shushan the palace. He is the cupbearer. He doesn't need to worry about anything, but notice this. First of all, he cared enough to even ask, what's the plight? What's the state? What's the situation with my brethren? After all, information can bring obligation. Why did he even ask? Mark Twain once said, all you need in life is ignorance and confidence, and then it's sure success. Nehemiah had a caring heart, just, our, just like our Lord. He cared. He cared. You know, facts do not cease to exist just because they're ignored. I would say there's genuine needs in this church for people to actually step up to the plate, get involved, 
and do something using their gifts for God. Notice, second of all, in Nehemiah chapter number one, he didn't just care enough to ask, but look at verse number four. Look at verse four. And it came to pass that when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. So he cared enough to ask, but he also cared enough to weep. It's like our Lord, he saw, he had compassion because he saw him as sheep having no shepherd. We know our Lord wept. Let me ask you a question this morning. What do you weep over? And I don't mean you're walking around like a ball and baby all the time, but literally, what do you weep over? Warren Wearsby said, what makes people laugh or weep is often an indication of their character. People who laugh at other people's mistakes or misfortunes or weep over trivial disappointments are lacking in either culture or character and possibly both. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus wept over the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. So Nehemiah, here he is, he, he cared enough to ask, what's the situation with my brethren? He cared enough to weep, but notice if you would, in verse 5, notice he cared enough to pray. Verse 5, let now thine ear be attentive, and thine eyes be open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now. Notice how often, day and night. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said in our text? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. So as you think about a prayer, as you think about a, a, a labor shortage, it's imperative to remember in the context of biblical Christianity, and we're talking about labor, what is labor? You're, you're, you're talking about a labor shortage, what is labor? Well, I mean, first of all, we could say this, uh, prayer, prayer, real, I mean real prayer, not rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, I'm talking about real prayer, and many of you know what I'm talking about. Real prayer is labor. Have you ever sat down to pray, and you're, you're doing your devotional time, and, and you've got your journal, and you're praying, and, 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 and the Bible does say prayer is labor, laboring in prayer, that you've got a million things going through your head, and it takes discipline and labor and effort even to enter into real fellowship with God? and begin to call out before him uh, prayer requests and petitions and requests before God Almighty because it's labor. In a local church, when I said this at the, the meeting yesterday in the sessions, I'm of the opinion, and I tell this to our church as well, I believe every saved individual, first of all, ought to belong to a local New Testament church. Second of all, I think that they ought to have a ministry into their church, whether they're rotating or ladies helping in the nursery or hospitality or security or media or junior church or Sunday school or bus ministry or college and career. Listen, there's a labor shortage even in our churches. And we're living in a day and age, a generation, maybe not here, but in many others where it's a church hoppers and choppers, and what does this have for me, and what does this have for me? And, and we're listening to the preaching, and we're taking it all in, and we just become a sponge, and you get the, it's just a sponge. But you know what happens with a sponge if it's never wrung out? It becomes stagnant. And it becomes stinky. And that's what happens to a Christian that all they do is take in and take in and take in and take in and take in. They become stagnant. 
You're to give out. You're to be a river, not a reservoir. There's got to be an outlet. Knowledge puffeth up. And so I'm trying to just admonish you to understand the labor shortages. Yes, it's, it's prayer. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. But it's also going to your pastor, going to your staff and saying, you know what? I've sat long enough. I don't have a ministry. I don't really know what it is, but I think I want to do something for God because you got one shot in this life. A little teeny vapor to make a difference that appears for a while and it vanisheth away. One shot to make a difference. You don't want to be like the guy in the parable in Matthew 25 that took his talent and he went and he just kind of buried it. He buried it. He said, thou slothful servant. And so, and I also believe this, we're accountable. We're accountable for what God has given us we're accountable for our gifts to use them. And the best thing, one of the best prayers I can admonish you to pray each day is to say, Lord, take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands, take my feet, take my lips. Use them for your glory. I yield my members as instruments of righteousness for your glory. Nehemiah cared enough, he cared enough to ask. Some people don't want to even go to the pastor to ask because they're afraid that they'll put him in ministry. <laughs> Some people don't care enough to ask, but Nehemiah cared enough to ask. He cared enough to pray. He cared enough to weep. And then lastly, he cared enough to volunteer. Look, if you would, just real quick at Nehemiah chapter 2, and notice at the very end, just the very end, I think it's verse 5 right around there, if it please the king, Nehemiah 2, if it please the king, if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest, notice, send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Wow. Nehemiah is a picture of somebody who, listen, he didn't need to ask. Some of you don't need to. At least you don't think you do. And by the way, God won't force himself on you. That's the, that's the irony of all of it. God isn't going to force himself on you. He will let a saved individual, yet so as by fire, live their entire lives and never truly serve him. Because you have a free will. He will literally allow that. He won't force himself on you. And so Nehemiah finally just said, Lord, I said to, to, to the king, will you send me? I'll go. I'll be willing to do it. Here am I. Send me. Let's make sure, and by the way, prayer can be used as an alibi. I, I've, met, I've met people, no joke, they'll pray for a year about whether or not they're going to do this ministry or do that or whether or not they're going to join the church. Prayer, because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, well, I'll pray about it. And then kind of the burden goes away, and a year later or two years later, prayer can be used as an alibi in the Christian life. So how about this? Do something while you're praying. Praise God. Do something while you're praying. So make sure, make sure that we are not using it as an alibi. Make sure we're willing to stand in the gap and be willing to be used by God. Let me ask you a question today. Very simply, do you see the need? 
Are, are you willing to take the lead? And then lastly, notice Matthew chapter 9 again. Lastly, will you, will you plant the seed? Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now when we talk about planting seeds, we're referring to more than sharing your faith. It involves serving. It involves serving. Keep in mind that uh, this was stated uh, by Tom Rainier. I don't agree with loads of his stuff. He's a Southern Baptist guy, but he studies church trends and what have you. And he made this statement. I actually believe it to be true. He said this, church members who became involved in some type of group or ministry in churches were five times more likely to be active in the church five years later compared to the worship-only attenders. And I know sometimes what goes through people's minds, especially even in our church, uh, where folks, maybe they just come Sunday morning, what could I do? Even if, even if it's a prayer ministry or a once-a-month thing or whatever it is, you can do something. But it's a connection to your local church. Every ministry in the church, believe it or not, people miss this, still revolves around getting the gospel out or ministering to people. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's the guys in the media trying to get the message out or the nursery that's uh, workers watching the kids so you can hear the word of God and, and the gospel can go out or Sunday school teachers or you name it, you go down the line. It revolves around that. So what's the problem? The laborers are few. I gave a couple little challenges yesterday at the, um, the sessions that we had yesterday. Just like our country is facing today a labor shortage, even local New Testament churches, even Bible-believing churches, they're facing the same thing. I've been called in the last month two or three times, pastors saying, listen, I, I need an assistant pastor. I said, no, you can't have mine, but anyway... I need an assistant pastor. I need, you know, and, and, and there's just a shortage all over. As Jesus surveyed the vast harvest, he told the disciples that there were only a few who were willing to labor in the harvest. He said the laborers are few. Sadly, things haven't changed in 2,000 years. And I, and I want to just give you a side note here. That doesn't mean that everybody falls into this category. I know in this church there are choice servants that serve, that labor, that are faithful. And they say 20% of the people in churches do 80% of the work. And we know all the statistics and numbers. So let me just say again, praise God for those who do serve. Amen. You should be commended. And, and the Lord, most importantly, will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have no idea the impact you're having and how God is pleased when you use your gifts for him, but that doesn't mean everybody is. And so there is a labor shortage. The harvest is still ready. It's large, but the laborers are few. The question is, do folks see the need? Do they see the need? Are they willing to take the lead and go, all right, I, I'll do this, I'll do that. Lord, I've put it off long enough. I do understand I'm accountable. 
uh, uh, you know, there's, there's wood, there's hay, there's stubble, there's gold, there's silver, there's precious stone. There's a judgment seat of Christ that everyone is going to stand before. They may, we may receive the things done in our body, whether it be good or bad. Uh, and, and Jesus did tell us and reminded us, work for the night is coming when men work no more. We just sang about Beulah Land. Uh, you're looking at a preacher that believes the imminent return of Jesus Christ is breathing down our neck. I just preached a message a few weeks ago at our church titled it Paving the Way. Everything you're seeing right now is leading to the Lord's return. And, and we're not talking about rogue websites or conspiratorial things. I'm talking about clear, mainstream, before our very eyes, the Lord is coming back. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're serving. This is not the time for people to kind of be acquiescing and backing up a little bit. Back. This is a time just to get a little bit closer to the tabernacle, if you will. Just, just a little bit closer in and, and making sure we're doing what we can do so when the Lord comes back, he finds us faithful, serving, using our gifts for him. And by the way, it isn't like, well, they got me, I'm going to serve. There's nothing greater than serving God. It's such a joy. It's such a privilege. It's such an honor. I did a lesson yesterday on welcome to the ministry. Do you understand if you're saved, you're in the ministry? Some are AWOL, but you're in it. The Lord's plan is simple. It merely requires laborers to get into the harvest. So my challenge to Treasure Valley this morning, very simple. It's kind of a different message uh, that I would normally preach on a Sunday morning, but I kind of want to carry the theme a little from what we did yesterday. But my challenge is this. I want folks that are here today, you're serving, to be encouraged to stick by the stuff. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, Stick by the stuff. But then, secondly, maybe you've kind of been thinking about it, or you haven't been, or you were in, but now you're not. Let this just be a little challenge, a shot in the arm, an encouragement to say, you know what? I'm going to go to my pastor. I'm going to talk to somebody and say, hey, do you have a need? I'm willing to take the lead. I'll do it. Whatever it is, I want to use my gifts. And the Lord's coming back. I've kind of slacked off a little bit. I want to serve God. And uh, that's my second thought. And then lastly, if you're not saved today, it doesn't matter if you've been here 20 years, 30 years, makes no difference to me. I want to encourage you, put your faith in Jesus Christ. He'll save you. He'll save you. I'm going to have the piano player come, and we're going to do an invitation here in just a moment. And Let's do this. Let's, let's, in a moment, we're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to sing an invitation song. And the invitation will be this. Number one, maybe you have a desire to take your service for the Lord up a notch. Why don't you come to the altar this morning and just commit that to the Lord? Don't put it off when the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. Secondly, maybe you haven't been serving for a while, but you'd like to. Get back in. Give that to the Lord. 
commit to him today. Maybe you're here today and you're not saved. Why don't you get that handled today? Why don't you come have somebody take a Bible and show you how to be saved so you could walk out these doors and know that heaven is your home? You could put your head on the pillow tonight that knowing you are sealed into the day of redemption. Put your faith in Christ. I don't know the need. I don't know most of you. But I do know this. If God spoke to your heart, I encourage you. Do business with him today. Pastor. Sing a song. Here for a moment. Why don't we have this piano play for just a few minutes? We'll sing a song here in a second. Let's please stand if we would. The Lord's spoken to you. Spend some time praying to him if you'd like to surrender to working for him. If you know it by heart, you can sing it. Take my life and let it be. 405. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the
quickly here. You know those statistics, 80% and 20% and all that, it probably runs true on an average across the board. Let me say this to you. Sometimes people look at a small church and they go, well, there's not many people. They need help. And then they look at a church like ours, a little bit larger, and then they'll go, oh, there's plenty of people there. Guess what? We're on a lot more fronts. Uh, you know what? God didn't call us here as, as Christians uh, to just bask in the blessings alone. And boy, God's given us a lot of blessings, amen? But financially here, we're not here just to save a bunch of money and pile it up. God increases that, we put it out. If he gives us more people, we push the limits a little further. Because last time I checked, the majority of people are headed to hell, not heaven. And so I don't think our job is ever done. So if you look around here today and you say, well, there's plenty of people, somebody else will do it. If God spoke to your heart, that's not true. That's not true. Think about that if you would. Right, let's have a word of prayer and be dismissed today. Father, we do thank you for this message. I, I, I really am amazed that, that Christ would say he wants us to pray for laborers. The, the king of heaven is waiting on us to volunteer. You were willing to leave heaven's glory. You were willing to put on the sin of mankind on and in yourself on that cross. You became sin for me. You volunteered to be the sacrifice. You said, not my will, but thine be done. And I, I Lord, I love you for that. I really do. I thank you for your willingness to come all the way here for me. And Lord, if you can use me in any way, I want to bring glory to you and say thank you. And Lord, if there's someone here today you're speaking to about being involved, may you give them the grace and the, and the courage and the willingness to be molded and changed in whatever you have for them. Lord, if there's one person that has not been saved, they're here today, they've heard the message, they need to know if they're going to heaven when they die, when they Seek out one of us to show them how to be saved. Bless the Hume family today, God. Please strengthen them with the loss of their uncle, of their brother-in-law, of two people in two weeks. May you please bless them, strengthen their whole family today. Others that are sick, may you raise them up. We love you, Lord. You are the great physician, and you can help us. Bless us today as we go. Give us grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.